This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to the Match Preview Podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former Gulfers Soccer star Kendra D. St. Aubin. Big show planned for you here today. Next up, we'll be speaking to the all-time leading goal scorer in Major League Soccer. Delighted to have the company of Chris Wondolowski in the next segment. But first, Kendra, lots to discuss. Two wins since we last spoke to each other on this particular podcast for Minnesota against Austin and then Portland Timbers. Talk to me about the Portland victory and what you saw from that first. You know, I just loved the Portland game in the sense that down the stretch, it wasn't the prettiest of soccer, but they absolutely gutted a win, gutted it out to get the win on the road on a short week with a quick turnaround, an insane heat and a ridiculous start time. So the first 25, 30, even 45 minutes of that game was so fun to watch the attacking nature of that football and the movement of the players and the front fourth, the front six, whatever you want to say, just the combination play. And, you know, I mean, I, I talked to a lot of my family who are all soccer people and they, they all said the same thing to me after the game. They just could not believe watching the movement of the players and the quality of the players and the tight spaces and the movement and the reading of the game. And it was just really fun to watch. And it started with the goal and it was a beautiful goal. And it was a beautiful finish. And that just got, you know, got Minnesota going on the right foot early on, first, second minute of the match, and they were able to hold on. So um, I think, you know, that was a fantastic three points from Adrian Heath and his side to, under those circumstances, um, get that win and get those three points against Portland. I think when you look back at it, Kate, the, the scoreline could have very easily been 4-3 or something along those lines because there were chances at both ends. Both goalkeepers were very busy indeed. But Minnesota, I think, particularly with the chances that they carved out, will perhaps feel again that they should have scored more. In the end, it, it ultimately doesn't matter because, again, Adrian Unu done the business in front of goal um, when it really mattered. But they had some really, really wonderful chances that were carved out beautifully by the movement from Fragapane. In particular, Unu as well. Reynoso slipped in some lovely passes. Nico Hansen probably should have had a goal as well. But the, the reason why they weren't able to further the scoreline was because of the performance of the Portland goalkeeper, Steve Clark, who made some spectacular saves. And there were two that in particular stood out. In that situation, again, from, from your perspective, when you're in that position as a player, you would expect to finish and you would expect to score. But the goalkeeper thwarted Minnesota fabulously on those particular occasions. You would. I mean, and as a player, it's almost like one of those things. And even as the teammates, I bet if we watched the match back and kind of zoomed out, you would see the teammates' arms going up like in celebration. You know, we've seen it at every level in soccer where you literally think you've done it. You think that ball's in the back of the net. There's no way the goalkeeper is making that save, coming off his line, moving across the face of the goal, whatever the circumstance might be under that specific situation. And, and somehow Steve Clark was fantastic. It was only his third game of the season. We've talked about the, the goalkeeping carousel of Portland. They've had five different goalkeepers on the season thus far with the injuries. And he stepped in like he hadn't missed a beat. I mean, it was the timeliness of the cutting off of the angle. So as a player, you feel like you've been robbed because the buildup to those goals, putting yourself in the position to get the tap in, to get the finish, whatever it might be, you've done everything right to that point. 
and the goalkeeper just takes it away from you. And that as a player is disheartening. But at the same time, all you can do is kind of tip your cap when a goalkeeper makes those kind of saves. And me as the analyst for Minnesota United, and if I was just a fan of Minnesota United, this is completely different to me than some of the other one nothing wins, even the the back to back ones that they had at home to kind of get out of their drought, get out of their losing streak, because that was like 17, 20 shots and barely any on goal. This is these are quality chances created that the goalkeepers having to come up with the save or it's hitting the woodwork or something of that nature. So when you look at the Austin game and you look at the Portland game, the, the two that just happened. This is different because these are quality chances that Minnesota United is either just unlucky with the goalkeeping or the defending or a deflection or something like that. And they, they're getting good chances that, yeah, they should finish, but I'm not disappointed. I'm more excited about the, the quality of the opportunities. And let's go even back to the Dallas game. I mean, the quality of the chances that were created and have been created that they have found a way, you know, to really become dangerous in the attacking third. And this reminds me, of last year when Reynoso got here and you could see him starting to combine and click with Kevin Molino. It just fired everybody up at a whole different level, not just within the club, but as a fan base to see that kind of attacking quality. And that, and I think that lifts the defense that just excites everybody who's a part of this, this team and this club, when you have that kind of football being played. And at the other end of the field as well, Tyler Miller making some really good saves when he was called upon. Whilst we're talking of goalkeepers, though, can you talk us through the technique there that Steve Clark has, has gone through in terms of the saves that were made there, the two big saves? Because the, the first one um, from Unu came out of nowhere, and the second one was very Peter Schmeichel-esque in, in terms of making himself as big as he possibly could. What, what goes into making a save like that in terms of from a technical point of view? Well, I think both of those saves, what you understand about the goalkeeper is their reading of the game. We talk so much about the reading of the game from a field player perspective, but knowing when to come off his line and the angle he needs to take, which direction he needs to go, trying to read what the, what the players are doing in front of him, where the run is being made, where they're going to try to go to beat you. And we've seen you go to the opposite end when Tyler Miller was clearly assuming that the shot was going one way and would have beaten him to the near post and instead misses. But you can tell that goalkeepers are trying to predict, trying to read. You can't just react. You have to be a little bit uh, from a, a prediction standpoint of trying to guess or, or take a, a, I should say an educated guess because guessing doesn't sound very, very complimentary. But goalkeepers have to try to read the game and the player that they're playing against and who they're facing to know where they like to go, where they like to put the ball. Are they right-footed? Are they left-footed? And I just thought that Steve Clark, every step of the way, minus the goal, which he really had no opportunity to make a save on, he came off his line in such a timely fashion to really cut off the angle and make it difficult for whoever he was going up against. And you could tell that the reaction of the players was clearly that they felt like they should have finished, but it wasn't so much a poor finish or poor placement as it was just a fantastic save by the goalkeeper and cutting off those angles, making himself big, making his body, putting it in a way that he could come up with a save or the deflection and just really giving no opportunity for anybody to follow up with another chance to bury something. Now, the good thing from a Minnesota point of view is that obviously, as we've insinuated already, uh, unbeaten in six, it's, it's been a fabulous run for them. They're awfully strong at home as well at Allianz Field. It does seem as though perhaps not this weekend, but certainly moving forward, there will be even further artillery arriving for them with the return of some of the, the players that were on in international duty, uh, Robin Lerge, Jan Krugers, Jutta Reintela, 
um, all returning at some stage. But we're not quite sure who is coming back at what stage yet, but, but it, it is to our understanding that one or two of those bodies may be available. Um, I think at some stage, if you're Nico Hansen thinking about this, and maybe Ethan Finlay as well, knowing that at some stage Robin Lourdes is coming back, you'll be a little bit concerned from an individual point of view. But this is such a good thing for Minnesota, isn't it, Kay? The fact that they are so deep and have so many options and now even more coming from international duty. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I agree with you that, you know, Nico Hansen, Ethan Finley, all those guys are kind of wondering where their minutes are going to come from. If Robin comes back and he's fully fit and healthy, didn't get any knocks at the Euros, and he's ready to go whenever he is ready to go because that's the biggest threat. But then you have this quality of depth on the wing position and Franco Fregopane on the left. But, you know, Ethan Finley can play over there. Robin can play over there. You know, I, I mean, these are players that can move from side to side the way they cut in and they contribute from the middle of the pitch as well. So, yes, absolutely. Are you wondering where your minutes are coming from? For sure. But at the same time, I'm also happy if I'm a player knowing that there's so much competition in those positions to get the minutes on the field, that that means you have a good squad. That means you have a really good team and a really good roster. And ultimately what these guys, all of them want to do is they want to win. They want to win. You don't want to play 90 minutes on a losing team. You'd rather play 25, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, maybe depending on the situation. And then on the night on a winning team, knowing that, you have quality players on the team. You're going to get on that pitch. You're going to combine with quality players. You give the ball to somebody, you're going to get it back. And that this is a fun team to play for. And the, the way these games are going to be coming and the way the schedule is rolling out. And now we got Gold Cup. We don't know. Is Sonny Dotson gone? Is Chase Gasper? That roster, as of this recording, hasn't officially been announced yet. There are going to be injuries. There are going to be guys that need rest. Michael Box are going away to the Olympics. All of these things. So the depth and the quality of this roster is something that is a absolute bonus and a plus. And everyday competition at training, you and I have seen it when there is competition and we've seen it when there's not competition. And it just raises the whole level of training when there's quality on this roster. That was going to be where I went next in terms of international players. We don't know who's going to be called up yet, but we do know Michael Boxall heading off to the Olympics as one of the three over-aged players. Remember, usually with the Olympic rosters, it's under 23 players, but the Olympics I want you to call him. I want uh, you to call him an overage player to his face, and we'll see if he punches you. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't. He's more of a cuddler than a puncher. Um, yes. I, I, so so he'll, he'll be going as one of the, in inverted commas, over-aged players, uh, with Winston Reid and Chris Wood also, uh, Premier League players, by the way, going with Michael Boxall as a part of the Olympics roster. The, I, I think that the... the the overriding thought here, Kendra, is that it's frustrating, it's disappointing from a Minnesota point of view, but from, from an individual point of view, everybody has to say congratulations to him. You don't blame him at all, because certainly now at the age of 32, he must be wondering, is this my last chance to play at a major tournament? So quite frankly, you can't blame him. Not at all, but I, I don't know about you, Cal, but I was floored when I saw that. Like, I had no idea that that was going to be a thing. I mean, clearly in your New Zealand was going to the Olympics. And I know that the men's side gets a certain amount of overage players, not like the women's side where there are no limitations. But Bakla hasn't been called in with the New Zealand national team in so long. And I just, I wasn't even thinking Olympics. You know, we've been talking so much about Euros. We've been talking about Gold Cup. We've talked about Copa America. All these absences for all these players. And 
we had focused so much on the U.S. guys and with the 23s and they didn't make the Olympics that I was really shocked um, by it. But yes, I, I'm so happy for him because I think this is a, a fabulous moment for him. And just to be the leader of that squad, you know, him and those other two that you mentioned, I think to have that kind of leadership from those kind of personalities. And I only know Michael Boxel personally to have him in that squad, that young group going to the Olympics and, I think they have a really good shot. So we'll see uh, how one Michael Boxel might be gone, depending on how they do. But, you know, congrats to him. I think that's fantastic. And he deserves the opportunity. And I'm excited to see what he does. This is the concern, though, for Minnesota United, though, Kendra, the fact that New Zealand are in the same group as Romania, South Korea and Honduras. All of us from a, a North American perspective have seen Honduras in the past. South Korea always churn out good players. I know there's a handful of them that are playing over in Europe right now from the U23 team. And Romania will always be difficult as well. But when you, when you look at the group, you, you do perhaps look at it on paper and say, New Zealand may very well be able to qualify for the next round. There is real potential here for Michael Boxall to not only miss a couple of games, it, it's legitimately, if it goes well, seven or eight games. And that's a real problem for Minnesota. Yeah, that's a big chunk of what remains of this season. And seven or eight games might only turn out to be, what, three, four weeks maybe, just because of how many games we have coming up in the schedule. But next weekend is off after the San Jose game. So all of a sudden, yeah, you're looking at, you know, late August possibly. Um, and then you're you're talking about, or no, early August. But then if he comes back from Japan, you don't know what the rules are from a quarantining perspective. So Yes, that is a massive Correct. concern for Minnesota United, knowing that he is one of the players that has played every single minute of every match, not just this year, but essentially every year um, that he's been with the club since he walked on the pitch in 2017. He is that consummate professional that regardless of injuries and achiness and whatever else, he plays all the time. And he's been the constant of the center back pairings. We've joked about how many center back pairings there's been. Well, it's Boxel and somebody else. It's not two different center backs altogether. And that's going to be an interesting challenge for Adrian Heath and how he's going to, how he's going to address that. Because we've talked about a left center back, you know, possibility with Debasi, with right to love coming in there, but we've never really talked about who's going to replace the right center back. If Michael Boxel is gone and how Adrian Heath will, will have to rework that back line. As we've said, on several occasions, but I think we should continue to say it. During uh, his spell here at Minnesota, since Michael Boxall arrived in mid-2017, he's played alongside 11 different centre-backs. That I've never, ever seen that in this time period for an individual player. He's been beyond consistent for Minnesota. So what do you do then, Kendra? Who comes in? Who replaces Michael Boxall for the period that he's gone? Well, I think that's going to be a challenge for Adrian Heath to figure out from a health perspective because we just talked about it. We have a couple left center backs. Now, it doesn't mean that, you know, we talked about Raisala. He's played, he played right back the entire time for Finland over in the Euros. Could he slot in somehow at right center back? I don't know how comfortable he is as right center back as he is on the left side. He played right outside back for Finland. But could he slot in there? Absolutely. Could he play? Could Adrian adjust the formation? It might a lot of it might depend on who is he gonna put in front of the two center backs, depending on who they are. You know, we've talked about Debasi, Chase Gasper. Is he gonna be gone? Kasani Dotson, is he gonna be gone? That makes a difference too, possibly, on who he chooses to play in those positions. Roman Metzenier, 
What's his availability? I mean, these are things that all of a sudden, from a defensive perspective, Adrian Heath is going to have to go to the well a little bit. We've spent so much time talking about attacking players and wingers and who's going to come in centrally that I think we've always just thought that the defensive side of the ball was going to solve itself and Michael Boxall was the one really constant you could always count on. And you look at who's available, we don't have a ton of center backs on this roster. Like true, just solid center backs. We all know, you know, Ikepara is not available and and with the roster, on the roster, however we want to deem that. So, you know, I don't want to get all these tweets and all these social media posts about, you know, where's Ikepara because he's not an option. So I think it's going to be important for Adrian Heath to kind of evaluate who is going to grab that position, who wants that position, you know, to, to be fair and, and wants to step into that role. And what's he going to do alongside that person might even be more important down the stretch. Who would you yeah, put in there? Person, well, for me personally, I think Michael Boxall um, will, will obviously be unavailable. So, so I, for me, I would go with Brent Coleman. I think Brent Coleman seems oh, yeah. to be the obvious answer to come in back at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, uh, Kim Gucci is out on loan. Montgomery is out on loan as well. But I think from an MLS experience point of view, the obvious choice is Brent Coleman. The question will be, um, are the coaching staff comfortable enough with having Brent Coleman in there for, if it is, seven or eight games? We, we don't know. Um, you I, know. I would assume the answer would be yes, but we don't know. You know, the tricky part about that is, Cal, because I have no qualms or hesitation about putting Brent Coleman in as a starting center back, but he's always been alongside Michael Boxel when he started. And so I think that's the real, and that goes back to my point about it's going to really depend a lot on who he puts alongside the center back pairing and who he puts in front of the center back pairing. I'll be curious to see what Adrian Heath does with the formation and the, and the, the roster, I should say the starting lineup going forward without Michael Boxel in there, because that's that, you know, the, the constant was always, okay, Brent Coleman goes in there and maybe hasn't had a ton of minutes lately. Sometimes he can be a little bit shaky, maybe decision-making, whatever, but he's always had Michael Boxel alongside him. I'd say 98% of the games he's played in. And now he's the one missing and Brent Coleman stepping in. I think it would be really interesting to see um, what he even does at training, you know, just to get them comfortable, whoever he's paired with and who's alongside him. And then also who's in front, that's going to make a massive difference. No doubt there is a familiarity with both Boxall and Kalman. I think I read the other day or perhaps did some um, playing with a few numbers and saw that out of all the centre-halves that have played together for Minnesota United since they've come into Major League Soccer, Michael Boxall and Brent Kalman were the two that were the most consistent in terms of playing alongside each other. So it's a good point. We'll wait and see. Uh, no doubt, though, uh, Dibassi, uh, when he's on form, is, is absolutely first class. and It'll be really interesting to see what does happen. It's an issue that Minnesota United won't have to worry about this weekend. To our knowledge, we, we think it'll be at some stage next week that Michael Boxer will depart. Again, we'll, we'll get those details, uh, hopefully, at some stage uh, over the next few days. Um, so San Jose are the opponents for Minnesota. Um, before we head to break and, and speak to Chris Wondolowski in the second segment, Kendra, I want to get your thoughts on, on the earthquakes and why it's gone so wrong for them um, so far. Uh, no win in seven. They can't seem to find any consistency in front of goal, despite having the all-time MLS goal scorer on their roster. What, what's gone wrong at the moment? What, why are they in such disarray? You know, I think with San Jose, since not just since Matias Almeida took over, even before that, you know, they have just 
lacked consistency for quite some time. And I think back to all the coaching changes that they've had, the interim coaches, you know, Chris Leach, you, of course you had Dominic Canera who was there for a long time. And then a new GM and Jesse Fironelli, who now has just been let go. And then, um, you know, you bring in Matias Almeida with a completely different style and a way of doing things and um, sort of a certain level of accountability, but a different coaching style. And it's just been like this. It's just been an up and down roller coaster for San Jose, I think, over the past, what, seven years, maybe, that I can remember at least. Um, and when they're good, they're really good and they're fun to watch. And when they're bad, man, are they bad and they're hard to watch. And I think that um, he, Almeida has this unique style of this man-to-man marking all over the pitch. First season, kind of chalk it up to the new thing. Second season, I think was 2020, wasn't it? Or was it even, no, it was, how many years is this for him? So 2020 would have been his third season maybe. But anyway, the point is they thought, hey, give this guy some time. The players will adapt. But then they brought in new players. A lot of Matias Almeida players, players that he's either played with or coached in other leagues. And they're all a little bit older. So it's like give this weird mix of older players and then homegrowns and then a couple of these kind of in the middle guys. And some guys, he's absolutely lit their career on fire. I mean, Jackson Ewell has blossomed under Matias Almeida. He really seemed to find a position and identity under Matias Almeida. Um, but then others have struggled under Matias Almeida and just didn't fit. So, um, you know, I don't know. I just feel like when they get down and they get scored on early, they get so dejected right now that they are having a hard time climbing out of it. And that's what happened against LA Galaxy last week. It's at home, one of their first think they were nearly fully sold out um, at PayPal Stadium. And you finally get your crowd back in California. You allow an early goal. You end up losing three to one. And they just can't seem to find a way to climb back in it. The guys all seem to still believe. You hear them on their media availability. You hear them in their post-game pressers. They're dejected about the turnovers and the loss. But they all still believe in what Matias Almeida is selling them, what he is coaching them, the way he wants them to play. and. Um, you know, I just don't see enough consistency from them over the past few years since he's taken over to really be a buyer. Um, I'd be more of a seller in what San Jose has going on right now. Okay, well, we'll get the inside track about San Jose Earthquakes after the break. Next up, we'll speak with the all-time leading goal scorer in Major League Soccer, Chris Wondolowski. That's next after the break. Minnesota United fans, save time every time you use the online check-in for a great haircut at Great Clips. Download our app or check in online at greatclips.com. Great Clips, it's going to be great. And a very welcome back to the Match Preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former U of M soccer player Kendra D. St. Auburn. Today, Kendra... I think the term goal-scoring machine was pretty much invented for the next guest. Joining us now, delighted to welcome in the all-time leading goal-scorer for Major League Soccer, Chris Wondolowski, joins us on the pod. Chris, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. How are you? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for, for having me, guys. Um, yeah, feeling, feeling good. Um, you know, excited, excited for the rest of the season. Absolutely. So are we, by the way. Really, really has been a fabulous year in Major League Soccer, hasn't it, from just about every angle. So, Chris, um, I don't mean to go here straight away, but I'm going to. You're 38 now. Apologies for bringing up that number, I know. Um, but you, 
you're still scoring goals for fun, Chris. You're scoring goals like you were when you were 28. How? How on earth do you keep it as consistent as you do? Um, you know, a, a bit of luck, uh, you know, and I think uh, staying healthy is, is the main. I've really, in the, my latter years, been concentrating on health and my diet, uh, especially. And I think, you know, um, it's especially with having all the, the scientific um, the me- uh, metrics and being able to, you know, see how fast you can run and see how much ground you can cover. It's uh, with, with all the GPS data, it's it's it being a competitive guy. It's helping me push myself and uh, kind of reaching new uh, new PRs and new bests. And so, you know, I think that's that, that's definitely helping propel uh, my career. But it's also just continues to be fun. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I, I love being out there. Uh, you know, once that whistle blows, it's it's so much fun. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't get enough of it, to be honest. I know there was some talk, Chris, heading into 2020. Was that going to be your last season? And then 2020 was a total, you know what? And uh, <laughs> you, you decided to come back for 2021. Was there ever any doubt in your mind? Or were you still seeing how 2021? Or are you just all keeping us, you know, on pins and needles? No, I mean, um, it, it's one of those where I, I really did think it's going to be the end. And, uh, you know, even... Right now, uh, you know, I, I know the end is near. I, I feel I'm, I'm towing that line. I've been walking that tightrope. Um, and, and it's going to be one day where the, the end, it, it, it'll be inevitable. And uh, I, I think I'll, I will know that day. And so I want to make sure I prepare myself and make sure, you know, when that day comes, I'm not, help, you know, not being able to help the team of some way or form. And I, it's more of like a preparation, I think, for myself when it comes to that, to the end of the this year. And uh, even though my mind wants to think I can't do it, I know my body can't keep up. Um, at the end of 2020, it was. It also kind of made me have some introspective and uh, realize, you know, it, I, I can't still do this. I'm still able to do this, uh, which is also pretty cool. And it also made me realize you can't predict the future um you know i wanted to have this storybook you know end of this 2020 and i said it and i you know i thought that that would help you know end all the questions and everything but that that it did it uh you know it, it made me kind of realize you, you don't know uh what's gonna what tomorrow holds so right now um just kind of enjoying it and making sure i can help the team uh one day after the next I guess the follow-up to that, Chris, is what does tomorrow hold for Chris Wondolowski? You, you said that you think this perhaps is your last year. So, so what's on the horizon? What are you hoping to do next? Yeah, so I want to, and I'm involved with the, you know, with the San Jose Earthquakes, with the front office, and I really enjoy the scouting aspect. Um, but in the, um, you know, in the academy level, I enjoy, you know, the development of that 12 12- – 12 to 17 year old and being able to maybe help mentor them and being able to help identify the talent and being able to identify what areas are the strengths and weaknesses of what help to become a professional and also both on and off the field. And so that's kind of my ideal um, job structure role. Um, and so kind of designing that right now, which I'm very thankful for the quakes uh, to kind of be allowing and uh, to do. And then in the long run, uh, you know, I want to uh, kind of come up with Wando Soccer, which I would love to be basically a soccer consultant. So there's a lot of there's many clubs all throughout uh, the Bay Area 
and I would love to help as many as I can, whether it's with the curriculum for coaching staff or to hold strikers camps uh, throughout uh, the club or throughout uh, certain areas. And so kind of be intertwined throughout the whole Bay Area and the club level as well. Uh, you know, that's kind of home for myself and uh, something I, you know, I'm grateful for and would want to give back and also uh, feel I can help in that in that genre as well. Speaking of a striker camp, I feel like the number nines and the strikers have changed and evolved so much since you even came into the league or even when you were in college. What would your advice be? What would you coach? Because strikers and nines can play so many different ways now and you see the big money that's being spent on some of these players to score goals because it's the hardest thing to do in the sport. What would you say? What would you teach the kids at, at camp? Well, that's a great one. Um, you know, I think... First and foremost, uh, you know, especially if you're number nine, uh, get across that near post. There's there's three to five goals a year just going, just making that extra run across the near post. Um, you know, I, th I think that you can sneak that out or even just following rebounds. You can sneak out uh, a few goals that way, just doing the little things. Uh, something that I take pride in is being able to play different positions and understanding the roles of different positions. And that's something that I would want to, you know, be able to press upon them, uh, press upon them and uh, be able to have them understand that that's a big, it's a big role in the game, you know, being able to even just how a center back thinks, how, how an outside back is going to match up against you if you are a winger, if you're a number nine. And so being able to be able to play different positions, one, I think will help your career and help prolong it, but uh, it also will help you become better at your own position. And so even though it's a striker's camp, I'd still try to be able to impress different uh, variables that, you know, the defense is thinking or what they're trying to accomplish as well. And so I think that it's under, it's very important understanding the game as number nine, um, you know, or for myself being a number nine is, is reading it. And so, you know, I, I get to play with Cade Cal and his attributes I could only dream of, and it's, they're amazing. And now the way he's starting to read the game as well, I, I think that's what's going to take him to that next level. And uh, something that it, it's, it's important for nine to have as well. We'll ask you about Cape Cal a little later on for sure, because I think just about every eyeball is uh, on him right now in terms of the eyes in Major League Soccer. And you mentioned it briefly there, Wando, in terms of, of um, ways that, that you see the game. How has your game changed over the last 10 years? Has it changed at all? And, and I will always remember an All-Star game. I think it was 2012 or 13 when the All-Stars played Chelsea. And John Terry pulled you aside and said that, your off-the-ball movement was amazing. Where, where does that come from, that off-the-ball movement and the nows for goal? And how does one develop that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, again, yeah, kind of reading the game and understanding what a defender would like to do. And, you know, again, my job is trying to make it as hard as possible for him, you know, not making his job easy. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of simplified into just go to where they are not, um, you know, and that, that's always kind of my first and foremost, what, what I'm thinking. And then, you know, once I go to where they're not, I try to read my, my teammate and um, see what he's thinking and trying to understand where, where he wants to, to cross the ball or, you know, to play me in. And that's, uh, that's kind of, of my thought process behind it. It's uh, pretty simple in that, in that manner. But, um, you know, I think that, 
to be honest, my game has kind of evolved, you know, and kind of had to. I think that the game in in itself has evolved over this last decade, I would say, um, you know, kind of been able to take off in about 2010. Now I see the game in 2021. It's it's a different game. Uh, you know, I I grew up playing with two strikers, you know, the typical 4-4-2 and, uh, you know, one one striker stretching the space and one playing underneath and get the ball wide and crosses and. Um, you know, to be honest, I, that's what I worked on. That's what was my bread and butter. I loved playing two touch, keeping it very simple, get the ball wide and getting it out. Um, as the games evolved and the four, three, threes really, uh, kind of taken over and, you know, or even, you know, the three, four threes and, you know, and all, all sorts of things where kind of a lone striker now, you definitely have to kind of adapt and it, it, it took me a while. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for Matias Almeida is he really helped light a fire in me and my passion, but also I've never felt more comfortable with the ball at my feet now, uh, just with every drill we work on day in, day out. Uh, you know, my one-on-one skills, taking, taking defenders on, uh, you know, I, I feel comfortable with the ball at my feet and uh, I want the ball at my feet. And, you know, I think that's something that, it, it took a little bit of while to adapt and uh, you know, it's always frustrating that I, I'm like, why, why did it take this long? It should have, should have clicked a lot, lot longer, a lot while ago, but uh, you know, it's something that I'm, I'm appreciative of. You speak of Matias Almeida and you've always been the kind of attacker that will defend, will work to get the ball back, especially right after you guys have lost possession. But talk about Matias Almeida and the San Jose Earthquake team and the the way they play and the one v one man marking defending all over the field. How has that been different for you? And how would you categorize your fitness level? You're always a fit guy, but how would you categorize it now under Matias? Yeah, I mean, uh, definitely my fitness level is definitely I think even had to rise and uh, been able to rise and just to it's pretty cool to again just see the GPS and see how much. Uh, ground you can cover and uh, seeing the data I've been able to kind of accumulate it's it, it, it's awesome and also being again being a competitive guy it makes me want to do it more and try to try to beat that number and so uh, you know you definitely have to be fit uh, to play in this system but one of the things I do like especially being a number nine it, it puts you in good positions you know I think that you need to be in certain in certain areas of the field and uh, the nine kind of triggers the press. And once we go to that press, uh, you know, it kind of is man to man and the nine can kind of find himself in, in good positions uh, when, if, and when we do win the ball and it's uh, you know, when we're doing it right, it's higher up the field for us. And then, you know, one or two passes and we're, you know, trying to create a chance. And uh, you know, as, an, as a nine, I love that. And you're being able to, um, uh, you know, you, you see your work paying off, you know, sometimes it's always tough as a, as a forward, you do some, you do a lot of doggies back and forth and you're running and you don't touch the ball a lot of the game. You only get, you know, 20 touches maybe, and it, it can be frustrating, but sometimes it's nice to see your work pay off right away. And, uh, you know, see that tangible, tangible wins. Chris, massive question for you here. What is the best goal you think you've ever scored? Oh, uh, just like quality wise or just one that I remember or like importance or just. Let, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. First of all, level of importance. And then okay. the second one that you can answer is in terms of, of quality. Quality. Okay. Um, so 
for myself, I'm going to go, let's see, 2010, it was a playoff in New York, and we were the A seed, and they were the one seed. Somehow we were in the Eastern Conference uh, playoff, but yeah. And so Thierry Henry and, uh, you know, his guys were number one seed, and we went in there and got to knock them off and got to score the game winner in like the 82nd minute. And so also Lexi Lawless, you know, was the commentator and, you know, had some comments at halftime about needing to step up. And so that was just kind of a, um, you know, a solidifying moment that I always kind of remember just like, okay, I can do this. I, that was my first year kind of breaking in and breaking through. And it was just a nice one. Like I'm here, I'm on the stage. I can do this. Um, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. Oh, um, see, m- most of mine are like, I, I have a pretty close range of like tap in, uh, some, some tap in range. Right. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, uh, what, one that always sticks out is a LA Classico game against galaxy. Uh, it was a pretty rude one, but it was from the goalkeeper Bingham. He just launched it a punt and I was able to ch- uh, chase down. I cut it behind, crushed it behind and then, uh, bent it left foot into, uh, the post, far post. And so, uh, a lot was going on that week. Uh, Dom Kinnear was just fired. It was very close, uh, you know, to myself. It was always father figure. He was fired earlier that week. They brought in, you know, a number 10. It was Baco, and that was kind of my position. So that was just kind of, again, just a, a big goal for myself. Just like, okay, I can still do this. And uh, especially being in front of Stanford um, Stadium, which was always like a big one for us. And, um, yeah, so those two definitely stick out for myself. When you talk about so many of your goals have been close range and you've got to witness a couple of those against you guys last weekend with Chicharito, he's very much a similar type of goal scorer in that respect. When you see someone score goals like that, whether it's not, it's against you or, or whatever, do you kind of have mad respect for that? Cause you know what it takes to be in those positions and, you know, get, get that job done, make that extra run. Oh, absolutely. You know, um, frustrating as, as all heck because you know it's uh it's against us but uh so much respect because you know you know i mean i i knew we all know the game plan you know it's it's not a secret you know we know what he does and but he does it so well and uh his hold up play i think also is uh you know just kind of gets looked over sometimes i i think he does so well uh getting his team involved and keeping the ball for them and getting the ball wide and also you know combine for them and then finding his spots and being able to finish it off. Uh, you know, I've always uh, thought he, he's been an amazing player and always try to, you know, emulate my game after him because, uh, you know, I feel I can do similar things. Um, but he, he's definitely a, uh, a master at it. Wonder, we, we mentioned this particular player a little earlier on. Talk to us about Cade Cowell. How good can this kid be? Because he, he looks fantastic from a technical point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he, he he's amazing. I think that, you know, it's my first time I've seen a player with, without a ceiling right now. You know, I, I think that it, it's it's unreal what he can do and at times can show. Um, you know, it's it's also amazing just the head he has on the, on him right now. You know, I think he's very grounded. I think it, that goes to his parents. It goes to how he was raised. He has great values because – uh, to be honest, it's it's a bit, you know, kind of drinking out of a fire hose a bit. You know, it's uh, there. there's so much information coming at him. And, uh, you know, as a 17-year-old, I was, uh, you know, just trying to remember to do my math homework. And so it, it's it, it, it's crazy to think that, 
you know, these are the things that he's, he's dealing with and he's getting them so quickly and also just so hungry to, to keep learning and to wanting to learn. And, you know, why did you make this run or like, why, why is, you know, if it gets a wide, you know, when should, what should you do? And uh, it, it makes it kind of, fun, it makes it amazing for myself where it, enjoyable for myself to help pass along any little nuance or anything that, yeah, I, little tidbit that I think that can help him, but it's also just a bit refreshing to see him and just to see him work and uh, just see the love for and passion he has for it. It's uh, it's a bit reinvigorating. Quick question about the youngsters, though. We were I was on your media availability earlier today, and you made the comment about trying to find some balance between homegrowns and veterans, and you know, just the mix that you can't have all the homegrowns. You've loaned a lot of guys out. How challenging is that in this day and age? You're Every club wants these homegrown so you can sell them off and, and make money, but you need the veterans. You need the guys with MLS experience. You're getting internationals in. I mean, in your time in the league, how much of a challenge is that now? Huge. Um, you know, I think that you, you, you mentioned it and so true. It's uh, finding that balance. And, uh, you know, MLS is an amazing league. It's a unique league as well. Um, you know, just with, travel and the weather and you know across the united states and just so many different i think there's so much parity across the league as well where you know each game it can range from you know a blowout to a draw to you know it'd be a crazy you'd be crazy to be betting on mls you you wouldn't know what to do and so i i just feel that it's it's you need to have an understanding of the league and understand also the different rules and different ways that it goes about of how to build the roster and what's the best way to build the roster. And, you know, I think that, you know, how to spend money, but spend money, spending money in the right places and at the right times to help your roster and to help your team is uh, very important. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, you do need to develop those development and you need to develop the Academy and you need to have some of those guys and, uh, but they have to be able to play play a part on the on a roster. You know, it's uh, you have anywhere between twenty eight to thirty guys, and you know, especially when summer comes and you have call ups, international call ups, and injuries. You know, it, it, it comes down to twenty guys very quickly. And uh, you know, ourselves, we're we're looking to try to play some eleven v eleven. And uh, you know, when you when you have a lot of guys loaned out, it's it, it makes it tough, and it makes it tough for decisions even just to fill a bench uh you know we had i believe three goalies um suited up the other day just from guys you know we didn't have 20 or 18 guys and so um it, it is a tough balance but it's a balance that that is a necessity okay chris let's move on to the match itself on saturday minnesota united hosting your san jose earthquakes uh, three seven and one no win in the last seven for the quakes can you point your fingers to, to where it's gone wrong over that time period and why that is the case. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that still trying to iron out some, uh, some of our things. I think that when we do start to trigger the press, we, we need to make sure everyone's on the right page and make sure that all 11 are moving at the same time. I, at times when we were, only a few guys were doing it. And when it, it goes off too early, it's very easy to play through. Or if you're not, if you're not setting, setting the trap in the right 
in the right way or in the right area, um, it, it makes it very difficult. It makes it, um, you know, very difficult on ourselves and very easy to play through. And I think, uh, you know, it was a bit of that. I think that we also were shooting ourselves in the foot. Uh, you know, we, we pride ourselves in trying to keep possession and trying to move the ball from side to side to try to break down the team and use the flanks um, to our advantage. And when we do create it, you know, when we do swing, it is creating those two B ones with outside backs. And, uh, to be honest, we, we haven't been able to keep it long enough to swing it from a side to a side right now. It's, uh, too many easy passes that we we've been losing possession on that then, uh, create counterattacks and leave us very vulnerable or, you know, when, when we're offense, we can leave ourselves very vulnerable at times. And then when we lose some dangerous passes, we're very exposed and uh, have been taken advantage or yeah, taken advantage of uh, rightfully. So when you look at this Minnesota United team and you talk about the, you know, turnovers in the middle, the counterattack, what do you see from this Minnesota United team that could get to the San Jose earthquakes, where do you see the shutdown needing to happen for you guys to find success at same in St. Paul at Allianz field? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that um, the, the tough thing is that we, we have a hard time matching up with Minnesota because they, their strengths are some of the things that we usually like to exploit. And that's, uh, you know, especially in the midfield, we, uh, we like to try to outnumber or, uh, you know, over overload a side or overload the midfield. And, uh, you know, especially in the past when Ozzy Alonso has been in there and, uh, you know, I know we'll trust been in there right now, but uh, it's, it's been, you know, very tough and a lot of plays have been broken up and then, uh, you know, it, been able to break and I think that you guys still have that and uh, you know just speaking in past games Ethan Finley has been able to tear us up uh, quite quite a bit uh, you know with his speed and uh, presence on the ball he's he's been able to take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities and uh, you know um, Kim Molino last year also did did well but I know he's he's moved on but um, you know I think you guys are very dangerous I know Reynoso now um, is is coming in um i'm sorry i don't know how to pronounce lapagnum lapagne, 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 uh, the new um Fragapane, yes <laughs> yeah sorry, sorry thank you um new signings i mean i think that they've really stepped in and uh helped you know i think that's why minnesota's helped turn the page um to be honest you know i think they had a little bit of a rough start but i was watching some of the games a bit unlucky you know i think that for 90 minutes you know i think 70 minutes that they play well and little spells five, 10 minutes here and there and, uh, get punished, um, and punished kind of bad, un- unfortunately, but, uh, you know, they, they're always a very solid team and, uh, you know, very dangerous as well. And just finally, Chris, before we let you go again, really appreciate the time. Don't want to take too much more time up from you. Um, number one, is there any in particular individual, I know you just rattled off a couple there, but is there any in particular individual from a Minnesota standpoint that you're really looking forward to, to playing against, but also dreading as well? And then also, what do you think is a good season for San Jose Earthquakes this season? Um, you know, I, I think that we we have uh, two men. We still have the belief in uh, that, that we're going to make playoffs, and we can make. And once we make playoffs, we can make a run. And uh, you know, we have the talent in the locker room. We still have the coaching staff, uh, the belief in them, and when when they come up with the game plans and we execute them well, it's uh, it it. it 
goes well. It's it's making sure we we understand it full well, um, and and be also be able to implement it out there on the field. And so uh, you know, I think that that's that's going to be an unwavering um, goal of ours. And so we we have to make sure we hit many many milestones along the way. But that's definitely our our main goal. Um, some guys to uh, to that I'm excited to watch. Uh, excited to watch, but again, always. I hate playing against him. Uh, Jasper, I think that I, I like, I think he's so clean with his feet and his touch makes it look effortless out there. And um, I'm always, uh, you know, in, enjoy watching him, but also Dotson. Um, you know, I think that he's, he's very impressive where he, you, you can put him anywhere and it can also shut down, um, you know, some of our big time players and also be able to, uh, you know, help help the team uh, both sides of the ball. And I, I, I like watching him play. He covers this amazing ground, and uh, it's fun to watch. Wonderful. Um, thank you very much, special guests Chris Wondolowski. Really appreciate it. Uh, my thanks, as always, to Kindred East St. Albin, our producer, Tyson Hill. Saturday evening, where all eyeballs will be here in the Twin Cities, Minnesota United hosting San Jose Earthquakes. And all of us here will see you on Saturday. Thank you.